Okay, okay, here we go. In our, um, uh, about a week and a half, well, actually it was two weeks ago, I had an opportunity to speak at a banquet for, uh, for Peace Officers for Christ International. And, uh, and I was a little nervous when they asked me to do it because the only other time that I was ever asked to speak before a large group of police officers was when I was a teenager and I distinctly remember trying to explain to them they made a serious mistake. Um, but... You know, anyway, but I got over that hurdle, and, and uh, while we were there, they were telling a story. Uh, a couple of the guys at the table were talking about a rookie policeman, and uh, I thought the story was interesting because it really has something to do with what we're going to talk about today. But they said that um, apparently that there were two, two men that were riding on a motorcycle, and the one was in the front, and the other was riding on, on in behind, and uh, they were driving down the road, and it was kind of windy and cold, and the guy sitting in the back asked the driver to pull over for a second so he could reverse his coat. So what he did was he took his coat and, and, he, and he took it off and, you know, instead of having it ballooning up in the wind, he kind of did this. He, he put it on this way so it'd be warmer and uh, got, back, got back on the motorcycle and uh, got back on the motorcycle. They drove down the street and it was cold, it was windy, it was kind of a snowy, sleety type of day. Well, anyway, he hit some ice and the motorcycle went into a tree. The guy that was driving hit the tree head on. He was killed instantly and this rookie policeman was the first one to show up on the scene. And so this was on his report. He said, when I got there, you know, the driver was dead when I arrived because he had hit the impact of the tree. And he said, and, and the passenger, by the time I got his head straightened around, he was dead too. <laughs> so, you're probably wondering what that has to do with what we're going to talk about this morning. But, but I, think that, I think I can make some kind of an application here. The, the bottom line is that we need to become a little more observant of the facts and the details before we take action, all right? And uh, we, were, we began to discuss how to interpret or handle the scriptures accurately. You know, the bottom line is we've come to the conclusion that if God exists, and the evidence uh, indeed insists that he does, and if he exists and he wants to reveal himself to us, then he's chosen to do so by giving us the Bible, and uh, we've gone into detail throughout the weeks preceding this, so uh, it, it basically it's just a summation. He's given us the Bible to reveal to us who he is, who we are, what his desires are for our life, and therefore it's critical that as we study or read, in, as we read the Bible, it's important that we understand how to interpret it accurately. Because a faulty interpretation will lead to faulty actions. And we saw last time that Jesus basically warned us that, you know, it's not a matter of sincerity because some of the most sincere people in the world are confused as to their interpretation of Scripture. And even the religious leaders are theologically trained. It doesn't guarantee that they understand the meaning of the text. And so we need to be careful as we read through the Bible to interpret it properly or handle it accurately so that we do not therefore cause it to come about a, you know, a misinterpretation which leads to faulty uh, lifestyle as well. So anyway, as we go through this, there's a couple of things. We saw last time also that there's a danger in our culture to make truth relative. And that Barner research study that said that uh, 74% of those in an 18 to 25-year-old age bracket said there is no such thing as absolute truth. 62% of all adults in our country do not believe that there is absolute truth. 
and the way that that has crept into our interpretation of the Bible is when we begin to ask questions like, what does this verse mean to you? See, when we ask that question, what we've done is we've made truth become relative. And we've allowed the interpreter to determine whether that's truth or not. And it's important that we understand that the significance is something totally different. Let me give you an illustration of this. E.D. Hirsch, in his book, Validating or Validity and Interpretation, says this. Meaning is that which is represented by a text. It is what the author meant by his use of a particular sign sequence. It is what the signs represent. Significance, on the other hand, names a relationship between that meaning and a person or a conception or a situation or indeed anything imaginable. What he's saying is that there's the text and the significance of the text. The text stands for itself. The significance of it is how does that apply to my life? See, the significance will change among all of us. But the truth of the text is the same regardless of how we are to apply it. Do you follow me? So there's a big difference between the two. And what we need to understand is when we confuse... See, the meaning of a text never changes. It is what it is. That never changes. And our first goal, if we're to interpret Scripture accurately, is discover this fixed and determinate thing. What is the meaning of this passage? Not, what does this passage mean to you? What does it mean to me? It's, what does this passage mean... And then, what is its significance for me? What is its significance to you? And see, that's the interesting thing is, as the Word of God is taught and as truth is revealed, then God's Spirit works in our lives in many different ways. So we can, we can study a passage and it means the same thing, but its application to you and me may be totally different. But see, that's why the Word of God is alive. It's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. God's able to use it to penetrate our hearts and our life to be able to apply His truth, which is fixed and determined, in the situation that you find yourself in. So as we go through it, I think probably one of the best illustrations of the problem is that when we begin to become people who say, but this pastor says this but my pastor says this. But this teacher said that. And what we're, what we're really trying to get away from is, I would rather have you and me become students of the Bible to the point where we say, but this passage deals with that. This passage deals with that. And that passage deals with this. And it's not a matter of, but what is your... Pa-? See, it, God's truth has become relegated to whoever the most dynamic and popular teachers are of our day. If a popular teacher says this is what that means, or this is what it means to them, we then throw our brains out the door and say, oh, then that must be what it means. But you can have two popular teachers who say something totally in opposition to each other, and therefore you've got to understand, guess what? One person's wrong. They may be both wrong. But at least one of them's wrong. If both of them have an idea that's totally different than the other or contradicting the other person, both cannot be right because truth is absolute and it's fixed and it doesn't change. So what we need to understand is the language that God uses to express a meaning to us, He did so for the purpose of us understanding Him and understanding the message. I'll give you an illustration. And here's a problem we're having in schools today. We're trying to get away from absolute truth to where everyone's understanding is equally valid. And it's ludicrous. 
For example, if you would have taken someone who understood smoke signals and said, what does that smoke signal mean to you? I mean, do you see anything ridiculous about that? Think about this. See, language or communication was always meant to be specific so that it conveyed a very specific meaning. It was never to be vague and arbitrary and therefore interpreted by whoever wants to interpret it any way they want. The smoke signal either, either meant, hey, there's trouble brewing or there's a peace party going on or something was happening. However, that, that signal was sent out, it meant a very specific message. Do you follow this? That's, I mean, that's not ludicrous to you, is it? I mean, that's what it was intended to do. Language is intended to convey a very specific meaning. Words do mean something. And the reason that most of us are frustrated in political campaigns is because we've got this double speak where someone will say or use a word that means a very definite thing, and then when you say, is that what you meant, they say, oh, no, that's not what I meant to say. Well, if that's not what you're meant to say, then choose your words more carefully because that's what that word means. Do you follow that? And that's the problem that we have. See, words do mean something. Even though in our culture they're meaning less and less because if it's not what you agree, then we'll change the meaning of the word. Oh, that's not what I meant to say. Well, then expand your, your vocabulary a little bit if you expect us to vote for you. Think about this. Why would you vote for somebody who doesn't know what words mean? That is a scary thought. Oh, that's not what I meant to say. Well, then you must not be bright enough to lead us anywhere. But it's not what they're saying. They know what they said, but if you don't agree with them, then they change the meaning of the word rather than say, oh, you know what, I did say that and I was wrong and that, was, that wasn't what I meant to say. Let me change it. Oh, okay, fine. Here we go. See what the problem is? It's like, okay, let's take a guy who plays a professional sport. You know, a 46 gap, Eric Dickerson's favorite play, the 46 gap was a specific play. It was language that was used that the offense understood the, the, the lineman knew where to block. The, the running back knew where to run. They knew where the gap was. They knew what 46 was. They knew everything on there. 46 gap on three. All right? Well, everyone on that team, on the offensive side of the ball, knows what 46 gap on three means. Now, to you and I, we can interpret and say, well, let's see, 46 gap on three. Number 46 has a gap between his third and his fourth molar. And we can say, but that's truth to me. You're wrong. That's not what it means. And if you go 46 gap on three, and a player says, but I just felt like going to the seven gap. Because to me, 46 was just so arbitrary and so vague, I just thought I'd apply it any way that I wanted to. And after all, coach, what's true for you may not be true for me. I mean, I mean see how stupid we get? I mean, no, it means something very specific. So we've got to be careful when we read the Bible to understand that God intended to reveal himself and truth to us in a very specific manner. It's not open to all of our interpretations. Truth is truth. Now the question is, how do we go about discovering what that truth is? If you've got your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. Without question, it has to be one of the foremost passages on helping us understand how to interpret the Bible properly. Nehemiah chapter 8. And there's four guidelines or observations that we'll see throughout this passage that I think as, as we look at it will help us to understand how to interpret or handle the Scriptures accurately. Nehemiah chapter 8, starting with verse 1. 
And we read this. And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in the front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Let me give you observation number one. If you want to become a better student of the Bible so that you will properly interpret it as God meant it to be interpreted and therefore apply it in a way that is pleasing and right before God, the first thing, and man, I'll tell you what, this is worth the price of admission alone. The first guideline is this. You need to read the Bible. Hey, number one, handling the Scripture starts with reading the Bible. Now, I know this doesn't seem like much to you, but consider the majority of problems that people have in interpreting the Bible start with a very fundamental mistake. That is, they don't read it. They say, well, I know it says somewhere in the Bible that God helps those who help themselves. Or something like that. That's in Second Opinions 3, chapter 4. Right? Well, you know what I'm saying? That's like, and that's the way it usually works. What in the world? I mean, where, where did you... Now, I know it says somewhere in the Bible. And that always cracks me up. Because it's like, well, where does it say that? And in what context is it written? Who was it written to? What was going on at the time? What was the cultural significance? I mean, what, what do you mean that's, it says that? See, the problem that we have is that we don't read the Bible enough to interpret it correctly. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. See, this is a unique idea, one that I'd really like to promote as best I could. And hopefully you'll be encouraged as you leave here to stop and do something that maybe you don't do often enough. And that is read the Bible. Just read it. Spend some time and read it. In Acts 17, 10 through 12, it says that the church at, uh, at uh, Berea was more noble-minded than those at Thessalonica because they examined the Scripture to see whether what Paul was saying was true or wasn't true. How many of you, be honest now, don't even show me your hands, but be honest with yourself, how many of you, when you hear somebody preaching or teaching, actually examine the Scripture to see what is being said is true or not true? Take the time to study it on your own. To examine the context. To read it in its context, in its passage, in its meaning. To understand who it was originally written to. To examine it and look at it and say, man, I don't understand that. And then to grab a Bible dictionary and to look up a word. And to look up something in an encyclopedia. And to check it and examine it. To find out whether what was being said was true or not true. If the Apostle Paul wasn't above scrutiny, certainly anybody that you would listen to as a teacher of the Bible wouldn't be above scrutiny either. Whether it's on the radio or at church, in this class, wherever you find yourselves, I would beg you to examine the scripture to make sure that it's truth. Because otherwise you'll leave and you'll misapply it and it'll mess up your life. 
But if it's truth and you apply it, then God will bless you. But if it's error, it'll destroy you. Why do you think so many people that get caught up in cults, their lives are so screwed up, messed up, and they can't even find what's north or south anymore? Because they've taken somebody who's used the Bible to manipulate it and contort it and to make it say whatever it is that they want to say for their own purposes. And they trap them in that environment. And they don't take the time to read it or study it and say, hey, that's not what it says. And if that person is challenged and doesn't take the time to explain it, then I'd say, run! Run! Not everybody that went to Jim Jones's church went to Guyana. There are many of them who examine the scripture and say, Hey, brother, we think you're going a little bit off base here. We want to challenge you and question you and ask you to explain what your interpretation of that passage. We want you to explain the meaning of it. No, we, we, that's not right. That's not the context. That's not what it says. We're giving you a chance to refute it. You don't want to refute it? We're off this train. Because this train's heading to a place called Jonestown. How do you think 900 and some people end up dead in the jungle somewhere? And that's just the one that we read about. It happens every day and it's going on all around us, folks, and don't think that it isn't. And what's allowing it to happen? People are lazy. We're lazy. We want three steps. We want a tape. We want an overhead. We don't want to sit and study the scripture ourselves. We don't want to read it for ourselves. And what's sad is we'll read every commentary in the world. We'd rather read books about the Bible than the Bible itself. And God convicted me of that. It's like, check, you need to spend more time just reading the Word. Instead of time trying to think and read what other people are saying about the Word, why don't you read it yourself? We spend more time in commentaries and in books and in books on the Bible, books about people on the Bible, books about people who believe in the Bible, and books about people who are trying to interpret the Bible. We'll spend more time on books and tapes and videos on everything else, but we won't spend any time reading the Bible. They read it. They read it from what? Daybreak till noon. Do we have to do that? That's a little bit fanatical, isn't it? It's like, it's hard enough staying awake for 40 minutes listening to you. (laughs) Wait, was that amen? I heard that amen. What's up with that? Amen from a lawyer. Man, holy smokes. A guy gets paid by the word, not by the meaning. Man, Haley, preach it, brother. Well, you can't find that anywhere in Scripture, though, anyway. All right, Nelson. Okay, now here's the problem. Now you say, okay, but I read the Bible, but I don't understand what it says. Or I'm not sure what it says. Well, let me give you a couple little hints. Hints. Or hints. For those who speak properly. If the literal sense makes good sense. Mark this down. If the literal sense makes good sense, then seek no other sense, lest you end up with nonsense. Alrighty? You got that? If the literal sense makes sense, seek no other sense, or you'll come up with nonsense. I've seen people say, but this passage means this to me. And you're like... What? Where'd you get that? And it's like, where, where did you come up with that? And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate, and they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which is the law. Well, you see, really what this is, this is figurative language. It means that it was like a breezy day and the wind was blowing out of the southeast of the Gobi Desert. 
and, uh, and, and, and they had like all these people, but they were really just one person. It was just one big person that was there. And it's like, where, what? I mean, where do you come up with this? You know, if it makes sense, don't look for any other sense or it's nonsense. I mean, and we need to understand. Let me give you some, let me give you some examples of it, okay? If it makes sense, then take it literally. If it doesn't make sense literally, then it may be figurative, and we need to understand some basic rules of interpretation, okay? Number one, the Bible uses metaphors. For example, John 15, 1 says, Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, this doesn't mean he's a vine. It doesn't mean he's a literal vine. Now, stop thinking about it. I'm the true vine. It's a metaphor. What he's saying is, is that, you know what? Hey, it's not, I'm a vine, but you can compare me to one. And he used it as an illustration or a metaphor to help teach something that's true. Jesus is not a vine. Okay? Now, here's a simile. In Exodus 24, 17, you'll see words like like and as. If you read through your Bible and you see a word, he was like, or it was as, or whatever, then it's a simile. And, for example, the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. Like or as. The glory of the Lord is not a fire. It was like or as a consuming fire on the mountaintop, trying to put into words the picture of what was being seen. Sometimes words are inadequate, but they're the best that we can do, and God uses them to convey a meaning. But he also used them very descriptively, like or as. The glory of the Lord was like or as a consuming fire on a mountaintop. All right? There's also hyperbole, which is an exaggeration to emphasize something. Like in John 21, 25, listen to this. It says, And there were also so many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books which were written. Okay, you follow that? That's a hyperbole. It's an exaggeration. Man, if everything that Jesus did was in writing and everybody wrote about it, there wouldn't be enough room in the world to put all those books. The point is, hey, you know what? He did not only what God recorded in Scripture, but so much more that this is just touching the surface of who Jesus is and what He did. So as we're reading through it, we read through things literally, but we also understand there's figurative language that's used as well. But the figurative language is easy to discern and to pick out. But the only way that you'll know that is you have to spend time reading the Scripture. The second point is, not only did they read it, and they were also, by the way, now this is, talk about an indictment to most of us, but it says all the people listened attentively. What are you laughing about now, see? I know, I know, you don't have to laugh. They listened. Now, I don't know, sometimes I wonder, now, I, it's like, do you people think you're getting like brownie points in heaven to show up here or something? Now, I'm just wondering. I mean, sometimes it amazes me. I wonder sometimes what, what people think. It's like, okay, well, we're going to church. Why? Because okay, we've got to be there. Well, I would hope not. I would hope that the reason is so that you will come, not only that you will worship God and enter in the joy of His presence and in fellowship with one another, but as you're taught the Word of God, that you would listen attentively to see what God is trying to tell you that you need to do in your life. If that's not the purpose in being here, then what are you doing here? Think about it. They didn't come because they said, we got to stand here for four hours and make our shopping list up in our head. I'm wondering how that Nordstrom sale's going. I wonder what time kickoff is. I mean, you know, maybe that's why there weren't malls then. No, that couldn't be, right? But anyway, 
But you see what I'm saying? They were attentive. They listened. They had a hunger and a desire to learn about God and what God was trying to teach them and reveal to them about himself and about themselves. They listened attentively. They were into it. They weren't marking time. They weren't buying time. They weren't just trying to get in and get out and say that we're there. I mean, that's what we've got to be like. If we're going to interpret the scripture properly, there's got to be a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And also there must be, the second thing that we notice is, there must be a respect. See, in Ezra, it says in Nehemiah 8, 5 and 6, it says that Ezra opened the book and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up and Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen! Amen! Preach it, brother! Now, obviously, there must be a cultural difference. Because some of us would just die before we ever lifted our arms and said, Amen, Amen, and praise the Lord. You praise Him the way you want, we'll praise Him the way I want. But I just want to tell you something. We need to be a lot more tolerant toward one another when it comes to showing how we love God and praise the Lord. Because these people didn't have a problem shouting amen. They didn't have a problem raising their hand. And there wasn't anybody sitting in the row behind them saying, Could you put your hands down because I can't see up front. We need to relax a little bit. But the one thing that we need not miss is that they had respect for the word of God. They stood up. They stood up. Could you imagine? They stood for four hours and were attentive to the word of God. Tell me they weren't different than us. Like some, I mean, seriously, you have a suggestion thing. We'll pass it around sometime. And some of you put in, hey, can we get those Barca lounger chairs in here? You know, some of those things that kick back. We get the little footstools and stuff. I mean, it's like, you know, people, it's, it's amazing to me that these people would stand out in the sun for four hours and praise God and shout amen and be attentive to the word of God. And man, some of us have a hard time staying and listening and being attentive for more than a couple of minutes. Man, that's sad, isn't it? And they bowed down and they worshiped the Lord. See, we need to understand something. The Bible is the Word of God. When we open the Bible, it's as if we're in the presence of God Himself. And I would hope that if God ever visited your house, that you wouldn't fall asleep when He was trying to talk to you. That you wouldn't daydream when the God of the universe is looking at you and trying to get your attention and trying to reveal himself and his truth to you. They said, Amen. They praised God. They shouted, This is great stuff. To be in the presence of God. When, when the Bible is opened, it is the Word of God. And it's not my opinion. It's not my words. It's not my notes. It's not a pastor's notes or opinion. It's not a popular speaker's notes or opinions. When the Word of God preached, it's exactly that. The Word of God. And it demands our respect. Because He is in authority. We need to accept it for what it is. Maybe we ought to just sit up straight and pay attention. And recognize that God is talking to us. Man, I guess we'd do well to show more respect to the Word of God. Number three, handling accurately the Scripture means that the truth is explained so that you can understand it. 
Now, some people say, well, why should we explain it? After all, if we're a believer, don't we have the Holy Spirit living within us to explain to us the truth of God? Absolutely. Absolutely. I believe that with 100%. I believe the Bible clearly teaches that. The John 16, that passage tells us that the Spirit of God, when He comes, will reveal truth to us, that He'll reveal the person of Jesus Christ and what He did, that the Spirit of God guides us into all truth. There is no question about that. But I also understand something else, and that is that oftentimes the Bible needs to be explained so that we can understand. And that's why God has given pastors and teachers to His church. That's why if you look at all throughout Scripture, it says some have the gift of teaching. 3,000 disciples stayed in the day of Pentecost were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Peter and John entered the temple and courts and began to teach the people. They continued teaching the people day after day. They never stopped teaching. Barnabas and Saul taught great numbers of people. In Corinth, Paul was teaching them the word of God. For a year, and in Ephesus, Paul taught publicly from house to house. All scriptures inspired by God and profitable for what? For teaching. Sometimes the Bible has to be taught so that we would understand. And as we look at this example in Nehemiah, it's a wonderful example of who were these people? These are the questions you have to ask. Why did they have to be, why did the word of God have to be explained to Jews who should have understood the law? Well, when you recognize history and culture, you find out that these Jews were taken into captivity. They were taught the Chaldean language by the Babylonians. They didn't understand. They were removed from the law. They hadn't read the law. They hadn't been exposed to the laws of God. They didn't even know Hebrew. And as they were going through it, they were taught a culture and a custom of a people that were foreign to God. And so when Ezra and the priest rolled out the, the scroll, they instructed the people in the law while they were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God and they made it clear and they gave meaning so the people could understand what was being read. They didn't know God. They didn't understand Him as their fathers did. They didn't know the language. They didn't understand what was going on. And so Ezra and the priest had to explain to them once again a heritage that they had lost. We need to understand that it is a different culture in a different place in a different time in which much of the Bible was written. We need to understand and identify with the people of that time and to see what was going on historically in that setting. We need to understand all of these things to bridge that gap. Ezra bridged the gap of culture and understanding so that they would understand what was going on. He bridged the linguistic gap. That's why it's so important to interpret or, or to translate the Bible. The word translate means to gnaw on this. Listen, to set apart for the sake of making something clear and understandable so that the truth would fall in place. The purpose of a good teacher is to help translate God's Word into an illustration or into language that the hearers will understand this truth of what God is saying. A good teacher will do that. He'll take something that everyone is familiar with and use that to bridge that gap or that cultural misunderstanding to say, here's what it's saying. Do you understand this? And that's what they did. Ezra, Ezra built that bridge of understanding. There was clarity. There was meaning. There was insight. And, and, and not everybody's going to understand. And so it has to be explained and it has to be taught. But what a good Bible teacher will do too is to challenge you to go back once they've explained and say, you read the scripture, you study the passage, you dig out the encyclopedia, you get your dictionary, you look it up, and you come to the, and, and tell me, is that what it not says? See, it has to be explained. Words do mean something, very specifically, and we need to understand it. And the fourth and final observation, if we're going to handle the scripture, scripture accurately... 
is that there will always be obedience to the Scripture. See, good Bible teaching, truth as it's conveyed, always leads to application. It always does. It leads to application. It's important to understand that. It says, and, and that they should proclaim in Nehemiah 8, 15, 16, it says, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. It says, go out in the hill country and bring back, back branches from olive and wild olive trees, from myrtles, palms, shade trees, and to make booths. What, what they were studying in the, in the scripture was the Feast of Booths. And they had never, ever in their lives entered into that celebration. And so they're reading and saying, well, what's this mean that they go out and, and you make these booths and we're going to live in booths for a week? And what is this talking about? Saying, well, and he went through and he explained what the significance of it was. And, say, and they said, well, what are we supposed to do? Say, well, hey, we're supposed to make booths, little huts to live in. Well, how do you do that? Go out and get some branches. Everybody go out and get branches, bring them back, and we'll build some booths and we'll live in them for a week. See, it wasn't, well, that's a stupid idea. Whose idea was that? Well, it was God's. And he's saying, go out and get branches and we're going to build little branches and live in little huts? Exactly. All right. We'll be right back. Where are you going? Get branches. God said it. I believe it. That's it. Isn't that the way that it is? See, when the word of God is taught and God says, you know what, Chuck, this is what you need to do. Then you know what I need to do? Whatever God says I need to do. I'm not going to sit and overthink it. I'm not going to sit and overstudy it. I'm not going to sit and try to find a way out of it. God says, don't, I don't. God says, do, I do. God said, go get branches and build booths. And that's what they did. And they went and did it. And they were obedient to the word of God. Why? Because they respected it for what it was. They understood it when it was taught to them. And as they read it, God revealed more to them. And they began to do everything that God required of them. So, you know what? Go through this little checklist in your mind. If you want to handle the scripture accurately, ask yourself the questions. How much time do I spend reading the scripture? Maybe that has something to do with the fact that you don't know much about it. Or that you mishandle it. Or misinterpret it. And I'll tell you, here's a test. When someone comes to you and they ask you a question and you don't have a clue where to find it in the Bible, that's a good hint or tip that you don't spend much time studying it. Well, what about this? Uh, I know that's somewhere in the Bible. And you know what most people do? They call someone like me or somebody else. and say, hey, uh, somebody at work asked me this question and uh, I didn't have an answer, so I thought I'd call and ask you. I say, what do you think? I got more time than you to look it up? Why don't you look it up? You know how to use a concordance? You know how to use the Bible? You have a concordance? You know where one is? You know what one is? It's not a type of grape, by the way. What, what, uh, what is it? Concordance. Have you ever had a word that somebody stumped you with? And you go, man, where, where's that word at? Hey, you know, most Bibles in the back have what's called a concordance. They've got a list of words and all kind of different passages. And if that's not enough, then go out and buy yourself a, a Young's Analytical Concordance. It's about this big. Every word in the Bible's in it. Every and and the and the is in it. And you'll find the word that you're looking for in the context in which it was used. Then you go and you study the context to see if that was true or wasn't true. Do you have a dictionary? Hey, you might want to try using that sometime. 
Now, I'm not trying to be stupid here. I'm just trying to make a point that, you know what, we don't understand the Bible because we are not students of the Bible. We don't take it serious enough. Give you some tools. Go out and get a concordance. Get a good Bible dictionary. Get a good encyclopedia set, if you want. Get an atlas so you know where these places are geographically, so you actually know where places are in reference to other places, so you can even follow like journeys and travels and see where they started and where they end up and where they went back to and what God had them doing, and go through all that. If you want, get some good, uh, a good Bible handbook, get some commentaries, get books that are related to it. I mean, these are all helpful tools and hints to how to become a better student of the Bible. Ask my wife. I got books coming out of everywhere. Why? Because I'm serious about this. Because I know that the truth will set people free. And if somebody asks me a question, I want to be able to give a defense for the hope that was within me. I want to be able to sanctify Christ in my life and say, you know what? I'm glad you asked that. Have you considered or thought about this? And it's not always just quoting Bible passages at somebody, but it's helping them to understand that you can trust the Bible as a reliable source of information. I want God to use me to reach people. And I would hope that you would want God to use you to reach people. And the only way that you can do that is by sanctifying the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart, always ready to give a defense for the hope that is within you. If you want to be a good student of Scripture and handle it accurately, then read it, respect it for what it is, the Word of God. If you don't understand it, then dig into it and find it and understand the meaning and search for it and look it up and don't quit until the truth is revealed to you. And then lastly, when God reveals his truth, stop messing around and go out and live it. And you'll see as you live it that God will validate what you're doing is true because the truth always ends up having the results that are pleasing to God. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this time to be together. God, we just thank you for your word that you've taken such intricate care and detail to get it into our hands. We just thank you for all the men and women who have risked and even given their lives in order to translate it so that we would understand it in a language and in a culture in which we find ourselves today. God, we just thank you that your truth sets us free, that your truth sets others free. God, I would just pray that each and every one of us would just become more convinced that we need to be capable and ready to respond and give an answer for the hope that is within us. Not just for the sake of those who don't know you, but also for our own sake, that we have no questions in our mind about you, the God we say we believe and love. And we just praise you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen.